This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. We're going to continue a series, uh, kind of a little mini-series. We started it last week, although you may not have even recognized it as a series. Um, we talked a little bit about decision-making. Um, going into a new year, we talked about some personal decisions that you and I make. And, and we said that there are some tools that might be helpful in us making better decisions in the coming year. Does anybody remember what we called those tools? Trump cards, thank you very much. Yeah, we called them trump cards. Who could forget that? Yeah, we didn't hand out toupees or anything, but we called them trump cards. So uh, now just to put, actually I'm not putting you on the spot, I put me on the spot when I do this, right? Um, did, did any one of those trump cards that we talked about stand out for you? Is there one that you remember that was important to you? If so, just kind of shout it out. Yeah, that's great. Yep. God's grace triumphs or trumps our worries. Or his promises, that's exactly what we said. His promises trump our worries. Good. Anything else? That's any of the other ones that you remember? I'm already way ahead of what I expected, so. Yeah, great. Thank you, Shirley. Yeah, small acts trump big intentions. How often have we started a new year with all kinds of huge intentions and promises? And the fact of the matter is that one small act in the right direction always trumps all the intentions in the world. Specific trumps general. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so, so often we talk in these big vagueness, you know, this, oh, I intend to... But when we focus down to something specific that we can measure and, 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 and focus on, yeah, something specific almost always trumps the generic. Habit trumps sporadic. Okay, so regularity, I think. And we're not talking internally. But, but some sense of... of <laughs> sorry, wow. You hit 50-something, and that's right where you go. Anyway, um, regular trumps sporadic, right? So anything that we can do, that we can do consistently, we're already ahead of the game. Uh, maybe you've had that experience. Some of you, I, many of you are on uh, version with me this year, and we're all kind of tracking each other's progress on, on, uh, on our reading plans and devotionals. How many times have you said, I'm going to read this year, and already you're way behind? I am, Right? But anything, yeah, Ben's like, I'm there, yeah, okay, okay. But anything we do that's regular, if we get three days in a row, that's better than not. So remember that, that as long as we keep playing that trump card, uh, we're going to make progress. Okay, any, any others stand out for you? I'll review the rest. So we said that grace trumps our performance, God's promises trumps our worries, small acts trump big intentions, obedience and faith trumps repeated just hearing. Sit here every Sunday, but if you do nothing with it, James says it'd be better off if you would just do something with what you're hearing. We said specific trumps generic, regular trumps sporadic, planning trumps surprises, habit trumps willpower. So many times we're thinking we're going to just white knuckle it, and yet build one habit in the right direction, and it's so much easier than just trying to willpower your way through it. 
Internal trumps external. That's really one of the main things Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. So often in in church life, people get consumed with how they're being perceived. For instance, you know, maybe you've been tempted on you version to check off that you read, even though you didn't, because at least everybody will think you read. It never happens to me, but I'm just saying I've heard that it happens. Okay? Jesus said what really matters is what's happening on the inside, not just what you try to create on the outside. Spirit trumps flesh. Uh, As we try to make decisions in the right direction, God's Spirit will always empower us to do what our flesh can never do. And we said support trumps independence. It's just our nature, isn't it? That we're going to just, well, by golly, I'm going to do better this year, but but I'm going to prove to everybody, I mean, I can do this. And so you don't tell anyone, you don't share with anyone, you don't, you're not accountable to anybody, you do it completely alone. And you know what happens then? You fail completely alone. And if we're honest, we like it that way because we don't want somebody to know we failed. Isn't it funny that we're more concerned about who knows we failed than whether or not we've succeeded? Getting support for your decisions, whatever they are, always trumps independence. All, all, just knowing that someone else is doing it with you. Someone else is going to ask. Someone else is going to say, I messed up, but I'm jumping back on that horse. I hope in the coming year that you and I will remember to play some of these trump cards. Hopefully, we won't, that's the only use of the word trump we'll have after a little while. But, um, but I'm hoping that you play... <laughs> but, but I'm hoping you play these trump cards in the coming year. Today, we're going to shift from personal decisions to decisions that we make as a church body. At the beginning of every year, it's important that we refocus on what we as a church are here to do. Now, for some of us, this is review. For many of you, you've, you've just started coming in the last year, or for a few of you, you just started paying attention in the last year. And, and so, <laughs> yeah, I'm not mentioning any names, but... You, it's very important for you to know the, the priorities that we follow as a church body. So today and next week, we're going to talk a little bit about what makes Crossroads tick. But before we do that, uh, we're going to pray together. Uh, there's a number of things in the bulletin that, that prayer requests needs, but uh, we've got a, a couple of surgeries going on. Dave didn't mention it, but Dave's going in for cataract surgery uh, Tuesday, I think. And... Uh, and then Dawn goes in for her thyroid surgery Wednesday, I think. And, uh, and there might be others. I always hate mentioning because I, I could forget someone, so please forgive me if I've overlooked you. But there's a number of challenges ahead in the coming week or two. And some of you have already said 2016 is a rotten year. It's been rough already. So let's pause. Before we jump into God's Word, let's pause and pray together, shall we? Oh, by the way, we're not praying independently. We're praying together. Let's pray. Father, if we haven't done it yet, we want to pause and acknowledge your presence here today. The worship team has done such a good job in kind of setting the stage for us, remembering how great you are, how worthy of praise, and what a a source of safety and comfort you are. Your promises never fail. We believe that you're here, that your spirit is here. Your word is alive. And so you are interested in what happens next. 
As a body of believers, as God's family, we care for each other. And so we want to lift up Dave and Dawn as they go in this week for their procedures. We thank you that uh, you've given doctors and nurses such great skill. Uh, thank you for the way that uh, Craig Pierre is recovering from his knee surgery. And so many of us here have, have been through some of those things and come out the other end. Lord, I pray that uh, both Dave and Dawn would know your, your comfort and your strengthening, that their recovery would be swift and free from pain. Father, there are other pains, though, that are not so easily resolved. Pains of broken relationships, of habits and hang-ups that just constantly sidetrack and derail our lives. Relationships that cause such pain. It's easy for us to become disillusioned. God, would you speak to our hearts even today? Remind us that you can triumph over even our failures and weaknesses. And as we look at your word today, we thank you for the church. The church, all believers everywhere, but we thank you for this church, our family in this spot, for the fact that you've given us one another. We don't, we don't travel this journey alone. I pray that you would help us to sharpen one another, and to encourage and strengthen one another, and that together your will would be accomplished in our community. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, I'm just wondering, um, have you ever been to the airport or maybe to a bus station or uh, uh, someplace where they've got one of these big displays? Marbles going down chutes and wheels and clicks and clicks, and right? You've seen those kind of things, right? Those kind of perpetual motion things, and I, I love those, and most of us do. You, you know what they're called, right? Rube Goldbergs. And if you don't know why, I'm not going to waste the time to tell you. Go Google it, okay? But they're called Rube Gold, Goldbergs for a reason. Um, in fact, I, I found a definition that I thought was kind of interesting. It said, a Rube Goldberg machine is something that, is, that accomplishes by complex means what seemingly could be done simply. Okay? I mean, if, if you want to put steel marbles in that little bucket, you could just go put the steel buckets, uh, balls in a bucket. But no, instead, it's got to be done in the most convoluted way. And uh, actually, I, I found an example that I thought we would enjoy. So if you don't mind, we're going to watch it together. Okay, I thought you'd feel the same way I did. So much. It took those guys a week to set that thing up with the team that was on the balcony as well. It just keeps going and going. So isn't it funny that we, we all instinctively love a Rube Goldberg? The, the, the more creative, the more entertaining it is. There's a reason why I want to show that, though. There's a place for Rube Goldbergs, and there's a place where they don't belong. And one of my greatest fears is that life around crossroads ends up by being more of a Rube Goldberg than what Jesus really intended for us to do. I can't tell you how frequently churches have fallen into a pattern of activity and busyness and traditions, and, and many of which had a purpose and was, and was meaningful at one point. And yet, human nature being what it is, given enough time, the church increasingly, when you look at their calendar, when you listen to their people, their leaders, it looks and sounds more and more like a Rube Goldberg every day. There's only one solution for that. 
And that's if we are intentional about reminding ourselves what it is that we as a church are supposed to be doing. Now, sometimes it's actually a little disappointing because the Rube Goldbergs are actually a lot more entertaining. Unless, of course, you do what Jesus told you to do and his power shows up and lives are genuinely changed forever. Then that beats a Rube Goldberg any day. So what is it that the church is supposed to do? Well, I I think it's safe to say that the church... And what we're called to do is related to what it is that Jesus came to do in the first place. And so let's look at a couple of passages. If you have your Bibles, open it to John chapter 1. If you don't have a copy of scriptures, there's probably a blue hardcover Bible there. And, of course, we're going to project it, which means that's why none of you even reached for a Bible. Okay, so in John 1, we read this, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was with the Father from the very beginning. Jesus was that word. Verse 14, we read this. And the word, should be 14, not 4, but that's my fault. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. One of the things Jesus came to do was to show us the Father. How, throughout his entire ministry, he kept trying to talk about his Father. If you knew my Father, that's not how things work with my Father. He came to show us the Father. That's not all. Verse 29 of John 1, we read this. And the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came as the Lamb of God. The Old Testament set that up. Today we're going to go to the Lord's table before we leave today. It's so important for us to understand that the meaning of these elements came from thousands of years, generations of of sacrificial system. That laid the groundwork for us to understand what it meant for Jesus to come as the Lamb of God to make the one and only last, final, once for all payment for our sin. He came to take our sins. In Luke 19.10, Jesus himself said this. He said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. A little bit later in Jesus' ministry, after his crucifixion and his resurrection, remember the story, he's walking along the road, and there's a couple of disciples walking, and they're, they're just so discouraged by what's happened. What's going to go on? And he's walking with them, but they don't know who he is. I love that. Like, I, I, wanna, I, I wish I was there watching them as they're talking to him, and they don't even realize who they're talking to. And as Jesus begins to speak with them in, verse, uh, in Luke 24, starting in verse 45, it says... Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, meaning the Old Testament prophets. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins, which he just accomplished, will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Jesus came to make the payment for sin so that then that message of being forgiven having our sins cleansed, could be preached to all the nations. That's exactly what Jesus was saying in, Luke, uh, in Matthew 28, what we know as the Great Commission. Starting in verse 18, we read this in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, if you've been around church, this sounds like church talk. Let's just be clear about this. Because he has all authority, he sends the apostles. He says that they are to make disciples. That's the one and single command. It is an extension of what Jesus came to do. And he says we do that by baptizing them. That's more than dipping people in water. Because the act of baptism signifies and identifies a new believer with the cause of Christ, with his church. So what he's saying is bring people to a point of faith and make sure they identify with God's people. How many times? Who do you know? Some of you have said it, but I'm not going to point you out. How many people do you know say, well, I worship God in my own way. It's me out there in the woods. Don't talk to me about worshiping in the woods, okay? I'm the expert of worshiping in the woods. But we can never mistake that for what Jesus commanded, which was worship with the church. Worship with God's people. He says, baptize them. Make sure they're a part of the body. And then teaching them, instructing them. This has to do with content. But then he goes on, he says that they would obey everything I've commanded. It's more than just head knowledge. In my experience, and maybe yours too, I've been in churches where people had, they, they knew more Bible than I could imagine. That didn't make them nice people. They could win debates. They could win Bible trivia hands down, but their character had not been changed. Jesus said, don't just teach them, make sure they obey. In his gospel, Luke started out writing to Theophilus. He says, look, I want to explain to you as, as clearly and uh, straightforward as, as I can about how Jesus' ministry began. And then he begins to, he writes the, this, his gospel, the gospel of Luke. He's taken all the sources that are floating around. He's trying to put this together in one succinct package. Well, then later when Luke wrote the book of Acts, again, the book of Acts starts with something. He says, now, Theophilus, you remember I wrote you the first part about how Jesus' ministry began. Now I want to tell you how Jesus' ministry continued after he ascended to the Father. What's so interesting about that is how in the world can Jesus continue his ministry if he ascended to the Father? He's gone. But Jesus himself said, oh no, actually you guys are going to be better off when I leave because when I go to the Father, I'm going to send the Spirit and then you will be my witnesses. And so the book of Acts is this storyline of about how the church continues to do the work that Jesus began the theme of the book of Acts is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the church is to continue the work that Jesus began. I don't know if you think about that enough. I'm not sure any of us do. But when we come to church, perhaps we're wondering, you know, okay, I, I know what you're thinking every time you come in. Oh, I hope Ben is leading, not Mike. <laughs> My wife and I think the same thing, Okay. Or wait, well, I wonder if so-and-so is going to be there. I wonder if, they're, if they got new Keurig cups. I wonder if, if, I mean, I don't know, it's so easy. I, oh, I want to see so-and-so, or I hope Mike doesn't go so long. Or, you know, I've got, what, you know, there's so many things. 
Do we come here and say, I am here to continue the work that Jesus himself began? Most of you would say, oh, well, actually, that's way out of my league, Mike. That's really like your job and Nick's job and Ben's job. You know, you got... That, I, wrong. It is our job. We, I can't do it without you, and you can't do it without me. Our role is to do the work that Jesus began. So one of the verses that we look at regularly here at Crossroads is found in Colossians chapter 1. Starting in verse 28, Paul now writing to the churches that have developed through the book of Acts and through the gospel going out and people being baptized and taught to follow Jesus, churches being planted. Paul says this, He, Jesus, is the one that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. A believer who is mature in Christ is someone who is able to share the gospel bring somebody to a place of faith, help them get grounded in the church and begin to learn how to follow Jesus. They are people who are doing that themselves to the best of their ability. They're in the process of doing that and they're bringing others along as well. Paul goes on, he says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And that, perhaps more than any other phrase in the New Testament, captures what it is like to be a part of Crossroads. Now, if you have been attending Crossroads, we are so glad you're here. We're honored. Every time you walk in, we say, look at that. They came back. Because just like Dave said, we know there are some great options around. But if all you do is attend here, as glad as we are, you're missing out on the best part. As those around you will tell you, once you decide that this is your church family, that God has placed you here and he wants to use you here to build his kingdom, to continue his work, once you know that that's part of your calling and it's why you're here at Crossroads, then suddenly you have an experience. You're exhausted and excited at the same time. That's exactly what Paul's referring to. I strenuously contend. We work hard around here. And yet, as we work hard, Christ himself works powerfully in and through us. You have never experienced anything like working hard and then realizing that Christ has been working right alongside you. It gives our life purpose. And meaning. So as we have studied over the years here at Crossroads, the life of Christ, as we've looked at what he did, how he lived, what he taught, we've learned his lessons, we've, we've, we've learned his teaching, hopefully. We've, we, we see how he ministered and how love motivated everything that he did. And what we try to do is to capture that same heart. We want his motivation to be ours. We never are there completely at any one time. But our goal is to think and feel and have the same motivation as Jesus had. And then to reach and live alongside people the way Jesus did. So that we can give them the teaching that Jesus did. Every encounter that Jesus had with people, he met them where they were. 
He accepted them as they were, and he took them someplace they never dreamed. Whether it's the woman at the well or the cripple in the gates, whether it's the fisherman on his boat or the tax collector at his table, each person was unique and was uniquely loved by Christ. Everyone you and I meet, every single person we meet, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, acquaintances, people we bump into at a store, everyone we meet is on a spiritual journey. Just like we are. They have a spirit just like we do. But we know that if they haven't put their faith in Christ, their spirit is dead. Ours has been made alive. Every time we meet and interact with someone on their spiritual journey, the place where we meet them becomes a crossroads. You see, it's a place on a journey where people could meet and potentially a new direction could be chosen. There are other options open that they never knew about before. And so our role as a church is to individually and together journey alongside people. And as we come to those crossroads in their lives, to invite them to know and to follow Jesus Christ. That's why our, mo- our motto is what it is. It's not, like, it's not that all the good models were taken. We had to settle on this one, right? <laughs> Our motto here at Crossroads is to help people on their journey toward knowing and following Jesus. That's all we are here to do. Uh, Do we teach our kids? We'll just go down there and see. They're having a blast. They're learning like crazy. But that's just an extension of this. We love to sing, and yet this is not a concert hall. We love to go into the community and help people, but we're not a philanthropic organization All those things are tied back to this single mission. Helping people on their journey toward knowing and following Jesus. Now we organize our thoughts about this in in a way that you have seen over and over again. We're going to review it today. We're going to unpack it tomorrow. But we use four words, four ideas to kind of encapsulate what we do as a church. And those words are gather, connect, grow, and bless. We think that sums up what it means to follow Jesus and help others do the same. When we gather, the first thing we try to do is we gather together here. We we exalt God in worship. We sing. You guys sing well. You still don't clap well, but you sing well. Okay, we're working on that. It's okay. Well, We exalt God because he's worth it. By the way, I don't know if you noticed the the mechanics. Like, we only have time for three, four, five songs on a Sunday morning. So, um, if and that's why I went in there. I said, hey, guys, we're starting. You know why I did that this morning? If you're in the cafe getting coffee and catching up with each other, you can do that after church. I don't know about you, but I need the songs. I need the prayer. I need the time together. And it's usually about the last song or two that I just start kind of feeling like, okay, here I am. Don't miss that. We're here to exalt God. It's not like uh, more of a countdown before the talk. Be here. We're here to exalt God and then to be edified by his word. We want to look at God's word and listen to it and be changed by it. That's what's supposed to happen when we gather. We value 
worship as celebration, and we value learning for life change. When we connect here, what we mean by connecting isn't just kind of networking. Connecting means that we value authentic relationships that are built on biblical values. How many people do you know, but you wouldn't say that it was a great relationship? How many people do you know that you think, they think the, that you're friends, but actually you've never been honest with them about anything significant? You can't, because they're not that kind of friend. Or you've got family that, you, that knows you very well and loves you, and you can't be honest with them, because they'll never let you live it down. But you see here at Crossroads, we value the kinds of friendships. Not everyone is your friend, but someone here can be a friend that is authentic, that knows the truth about you, and you know the truth about them, and together you're trying to follow Jesus. That's important to us. We value growing in our commitment to God, in our commitment to serving others and seeing them grow. This is not about self-help. This is about other help. One of the main reasons I want to grow is so I can help someone else grow because that's what Jesus did. Did Jesus need to grow? No. All of his energy was poured into helping others know the Father. We value making, always making room in our lives for new relationships. This is a challenge when a church is about our size because it's just big enough to kind of know everybody and be comfortable and everybody knows where to sit. Yeah, hi, hi, hi. And so in our life groups or in our men's groups or in our ladies' groups or in whatever groups you're in, you get a certain group and you like everybody and then you're like, can, can we just stay like this? And yet if we are followers of Jesus, I'm sorry, we will never let you get that comfortable. We will always challenge you to make room in your life for somebody new. And you won't like them as well at first. And you won't know them as well at first. And yet because we value connecting, we're going to keep saying... Hey, your life group, you guys are getting along great. We're going to have to kind of split you into two. I know, you all hate us. We've got to make room, because that's what Jesus did. When we grow, we gather, to, we gather, connect, and then to grow. What grows, we talk about this all the time, what grows in a believer's life besides circumference? We can grow in knowledge, we can grow in all kinds of things, but I think... It makes the most sense for us to focus on growing our faith. Our faith needs to grow. Faith is simple. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Now, for you to grow in that, you have to know what he says he will do and you have to know who he says he is. And so we study God's word. But we don't study it so we pass tests. We study it so that we can express faith in him. Well, God promised. Promised what? I'm not really sure. Wait, no, no. God promised that he knows about every single thing that happens in my life. This did not slip by his attention. He's got a plan. I just can't wait to see what it is. That's a promise. You're claiming it. That's faith. It's not a game we play. Well, I guess things could be worse. That was my father. My father was the master. No matter what happened, he seemed so kind of together because he's like, hey, it could always be worse. Don't dare worse. Never dare worse. You're right, it could be worse. That's not faith. Faith is saying, I don't like what's going on. I don't know why it's going on. 
but he does, and so I am not going to flip out. Jesus, show me what you're doing. Show me what to do, because I know. And before you know it, you see the smile? It's going to be fine. It may not be the way I hope it is. It's going to be fine. In fact, it's going to be better than fine. How do you know that? How can you say that? Because I know who's steering this. That's what it means to grow in faith. Now, there are five things that grow faith. Don't worry, we're not going to go into them. There are five things that grow faith. We are going to touch on it next week. There are three things that we can control, two things that we can't control. But in my experience, it's always one of those five things that got you going, got you where you are, or will get you where you need to go. What are the five things that grow faith? You want to be here next week. But when that faith starts to find full expression, when we really start believing and trusting God and it starts to produce fruit in our lives, the full expression of that faith is that we end up by being a blessing to others. And if you haven't been around Crossroads very long, you need to know this, that there is nothing that we are more passionate about than being a blessing to somebody else. You will give the shirt off your back. You will sacrifice so that somebody else is blessed. It's evident. It's evident in your giving. It's evident in your serving. It's evident in your relationships. Being a blessing is important to us. We believe that's why God put us here. And so being a blessing means that we value people. We value people enough to share our resources with them. Our benevolent, our love and action, we give more in benevolence than churches three times our size. Why is that? Because we value people enough to sacrifice. And let me just make sure that you understand this. At Crossroads, we are not afraid of sacrifice. We're not afraid of giving away our best coat, our best car, and keeping the older one for ourselves. We are not afraid to sacrifice because we value people. We value people enough to help them grow in their faith. Sometimes people don't want to grow in their faith. Sometimes people stop growing in our faith. We value them enough to go, hey, this is not okay. How can I help? We value people here enough to invest in authentic, meaningful relationships. It's messy. Oh my goodness, is it messy. But we still invest in each other. We value people enough to train and equip them for effective ministry. There is not a job around here that you get to keep forever. If you're getting good at it, and you're not training someone else to do it, you're failing. All of us are looking for chances to get somebody else to do what we're doing, even if it's what you love. Because that's what it means to love people and help them grow. We love people enough to always find new and creative ways to extend Jesus' love to them. We're always looking for some way, always looking for an open door, always want to try something new. So let's be clear today. Crossroads is not church as you know it. If you think of Rupe Goldberg's. Crossroads is only here for one thing, to help people on their journey toward knowing and following Jesus. If that's what you want to do, you are in the right place. Let's pray. Every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to just give you a chance to think. In a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's table. 
If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, we want to encourage you to do that. Jesus died for you. He offers eternal life as a gift. You accept it by faith. Some of you have been here and you've, you're, you're impressed by Jesus and you're, 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 you're intrigued by him and you even like his people. They seem like nice people. It's time for you to put your faith in Jesus. God, I, I know I'm a sinner and I know you're perfect and all, but I, I never realized that Jesus, when you died, you paid for my sin. But if that's what you did, I'm going to trust you as my Savior. Today's the day. Make that decision. And if you're making that decision, would you tell somebody? Tell the person that invited you. Maybe tell me on the way out. Hey, by the way, I put my faith in Jesus today. But if you're here as a believer, you've got to ask yourself, have you actively, regularly been involved in accomplishing the mission that Jesus began? That is the only reason we exist. And in 2016, are there ways in which you can engage with that mission here at Crossroads in new and exciting ways? I promise there are. The real challenge is, are you willing to give up the idea of church as you know it? All the things that church means to you, are you willing to let one thing trump all those things? Jesus, church is first and foremost about you, not about me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in just a few moments, we go to the communion table. It was you when you sat with your disciples. You took those elements, the bread and the cup. The night before you were going to go to the cross, and you infused those elements with new meaning. As we take these elements today, Remind us of the call that is on our lives as believers. Remind us that you began a mission and we are to carry it on. Remind us that as we celebrate the the ways in which you've been faithful and you've blessed us as a church, we are still not nearly satisfied because there are so many others that we haven't even begun to reach yet. And in order to reach them, we ourselves have to change. We have to be willing to grow and stretch and make room for others. So, Lord, would you make that so in our lives? We ask it in your precious name. Amen. Well, in just a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's table. Um, I'm going to ask those that are going to be serving to come on up. We'll have to move the monitor out of the way. If you're a guest, if you know Jesus as your Savior, we invite you to participate with us. If you're not, you're, you're, you're interested in Jesus, but you haven't put your faith in him yet, then it's perfectly okay to just pass these elements by. See, we use it as kind of a, a remembrance. And if, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, then it makes no sense to kind of pretend. We're not offended at all if you pass those elements by. But for those of us who are believers, let me just remind you that Jesus sat with disciples just like you and me. Think about what they didn't know at that moment. Think about all the things that they had no idea that were coming. I'm going to promise you that Jesus has things in store for us as a church that we have no idea are coming. 
And so he gave us this, this table. Most of us weren't together when we came to faith in Christ. We did it at different times, different places, different, different decades. But today we get to reenact it together as though we are all in the same place at the same time. It was Jesus who served these elements. It was he who made it so personal. This is my body. This is my blood. We partake of him today, together. As you do that, let me just remind you and warn you that it is possible to take these elements in a way that dishonors God. If you take these flippantly, eh, break, cracker, eh, cup, whatever, we do it all the time, then let me warn you that God will judge that. What he expects from us is to pause and to consider vividly his suffering for us. To look at our lives in comparison to the sacrifice he made. He died for our sins and I keep dabbling in sin. God, cleanse me. God, forgive me. God, change me. He forgave me of so much. There's people that I'm not willing to forgive anything. God, forgive me and help me forgive them. It is at this table that we are brought back to why we are here. And so in the, in the moments, the quiet moments in between as these elements are being served, I encourage you to interact with Jesus. Sense his spirit. Consider his teaching. And respond in humility and obedience. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we come to you today at your table, just like those disciples before us. And we gather, we receive these elements from you. And now with the gift of your spirit already having been given, would you enable him to prod us, to speak to us, and to cleanse us, and to change us? Knit us together in a body that accomplishes your mission. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.